So it's Mother's Day. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, welcome aboard, moms. Uh, you are the, the method by which God uses to replicate his image on the planet. That's pretty amazing. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. And so I just want to say a couple of things before I start into my message, which is this is always an awkward sermon to give because as many mothers as there are in the room, there are also women that want to be mothers and are not. There's women that don't want to be mothers and are not. There's women that uh, are in all kinds of other categories other than mom, okay? And so it's always kind of tricky to not give the message that, you know, your value is in your ability to make babies because that is not the truth, okay? Uh, but at the same time, we do want to celebrate the moms because you need some encouragement. And you are a category of human that needs encouragement. And so I want to give that to you. That's my only goal, okay, is to encourage you. And for the rest of us, uh, like you guys who are who don't want to be moms and are not moms, right? Um, you, well, that's a weird topic, right? Um, this stuff, what I'm going to say this morning is, in a sense, universal, okay? Y'all know me. I'm not ever trying to say anything new. I'm just trying to say old things that are true, and we can repeat them a million times, and they'll still be true. And so these things are applicable to you. You just got to do a little bit more work this morning. Okay, in the application department. I'm just going to sort of ignore you and expect you to be a mature Christian and apply these things to yourself, all right? Because this is the Bible and applies to everybody. All right, that's my disclaimer. All right, so we're going to look at 1 Samuel this morning, chapter 1. We're going to spend some time in the story of the birth of Samuel by his mother, Hannah. And I reference this story every time I do a baby dedication. But I don't think I've taught it. Maybe once. I think I did First Samuel a long time ago. Anybody here for that? Anybody remember that? Yeah, it was a while ago. I don't know how many years. So we're going to look at her story. And I'm going to just apply it to you in some fairly obvious ways. And we're going to end with some prayer together. Okay? So First Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it says, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke, her rival being Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Okay, so in case you didn't pick up on it, Elkanah has two wives. Super bad idea. If, it's ever, if, it's, if you've ever even been tempted, which I can't imagine anyone being tempted. If you've been tempted, trust me, just read the story. Okay, it's a super bad idea, all right? But this is the situation, all right? And by the way, God doesn't approve of this. He doesn't say this is a good idea, and I'm saying it's a bad idea. He clearly thinks it's a bad idea by what happens, okay? Hannah is living in a miserable social condition. And not only is she not able to have children, which in this time and culture, um, despite what I said to start my sermon, 
um, the culture told women explicitly that if that your value is in your ability to produce children and especially male children because it's through the males that the family inheritance passes okay and so which which is a terrible social norm but that's the situation so not only has Hannah not had any male children she has had no children at all and has been unable to and on top of that she is in a situation where she is in competition with another wife of her husband. Ladies, imagine the, the claws are coming out, right? Because she has had, she's produced no children, not, not much less male children. Her competition, Panina, has produced apparently tons of children, including lots of sons. So she is obviously the one who has a tremendous social advantage. She has all the power in the household. Yet, Elkanah, the husband, loves Hannah the most. And he openly demonstrates this every time meat is cooked by giving her a double portion. Okay? You imagine, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, right? Because if you're Hannah, you're like, gee, thanks for making me a target. <laughs> Right? And stirring the jealousy of my fellow wife, whatever you call her, right? And so now Panina's coming after her double hard because you, he loves you most, but you have no children. So every time she's around Hannah, she is provoking her and provoking her and making her miserable. And this has not just been something that's been happening for a little while. This is year upon year upon year upon year for Hannah. Miserable. No commentary is given on whether Hannah's preoccupation with having children is a good thing or not. Sometimes she gets criticized, well, you, you know, making babies is not your identity, but I think that's a super, like, anachronistic, modern, like, imposing your modern-day perspective on a very old story. Because if you were in Hannah's position, you'd be miserable, okay? That's the long and short of it. What we can say for certain is that from Hannah's vantage point, she is bro a broken and tormented woman who sees no way of escape. She is suffering bitterly at the hands of people in a culture that she has no power to change whatsoever. She is constantly being reminded of her failure and her lack and the position in her life that it puts her in. So it's been my observation that mothers in particular suffer in a particular way. I don't think this is unique to Hannah. I think this is something about mothers in particular. And it's not that mothers love their kids more than men. All right, don't, that's not true. That's a terrible thing to say. That's not true. All right, what I am saying is that mothers have a burden, I think, that they carry. And there's a suffering to being a mom. I like the word travail. Not, not some, uh, it's not tr the traveling mother, it's the travailing mother, all right? Uh, the travail is like carrying a burden that is, takes an enormous effort, enormous work, hard work and effort and emotional effort to carry. It's like pushing us the stone up the mountain, right? And this is what it's like to be a mom. Moms suffer in a particular kind of way, and they suffer because they carry a burden for their children. And it's almost like it's been said that your, your babies never really leave your womb. They sort of... Because you carry them for nine months, you sort of carry this burden for them that's deeper and harder, and sometimes it's very difficult, especially when they struggle. 
You carry a kind of worry for your children that's almost physical at times. It's not so much worry as travail. It may have something to do with the fact, well, I already said that, I'm repeating myself. A mother's love is a love that often suffers as they intercede for the blessing and safety of their children. And so here we have Hannah who is, in a sense, a mother before she's a mother. She is travailing before God, not just because she's in an awkward social situation. She wants a child. God has put a burden in her heart to have a baby, okay? And she is carrying that burden before she carries the baby. And she comes to God. She says, God, why have you put this desire in my heart if you're not going to fulfill it? And she weeps and she travails before God over this burden. And at the same time, Panina is poking at that sore spot in her heart over and over and over again. Look at verse 9 through 11. It says, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So Hannah's deeply distressed and weeping bitterly. Not just weeping, but it's the kind of weeping bitterly. It's like the kind of weeping where you can't hide it and it's embarrassing and there's stuff coming out your nose and there's tears flowing down your face and they're sobbing and you can't breathe. That's the kind of weeping where it's the kind of weeping where everyone around you gets embarrassed and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to help you. They don't know if they should not look at you or look at you. Should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I look at the floor? What should I do? Because it's like that kind of crying. And she's doing this in the temple, not at home, but right out. She is so, think, think about that kind of distress you have to be under to cry like that in public. That's how distressed she is. That's what travail looks like. But she takes her travail to God, asking him to grant her a son. Yet already, I love this, before the prayer is answered, she has given the answer to her prayer to God. She has not made it about herself. That's amazing. Her heart is breaking, and the situation she's in is awful. And boy, what a solution it would be to have just one male son. And then she could say to Panina, yeah, see? God opened my womb. Ha, ha, ha. I got one. You can't put me in that category anymore. But instead, she says, before God even says yes to her, she says, and I will give this solution. The answer to my prayer, I will give him to you. All the days, I'm not going to, you're not going to borrow him for a couple of years. All the days of his life, he will belong to you. I think this is where we see Hannah's faith most clearly demonstrated is that she is in her heart truly because she follows through. She doesn't make this about herself. She makes it about God. It's not just in the fact that she prayed for a son, but it's in her decision to give him back to God. So look at verse 12 to 20. He says, As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. She can't win for losing, can she? 
She is so distressed. She's walking around sort of, sort of like in her heart she's praying, but she's so emotional her mouth is kind of moving. She's just so distressed. And Eli looks at her and goes, oh, this woman is drunk wandering around the temple. Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I love Hannah's response to Eli when he accuses her of being not just drunk, but a woman of poor character wandering by herself in the temple, drunk and muttering to herself. Her response is not bitter. She has a lot of reasons to be bitter. Because all these men in her life have ruined her life. And here comes another one in the temple where she's crying out to God because she has nowhere else to go, and he misrepresents her again. But instead she turns to him and she is firm, but she's clear. And she's not bitter. And she tells him, this is what I'm doing here. And the result is, we have the only place in the Old Testament where a priest blesses an individual person and not the people of Israel collectively. It's really amazing. He blesses her. So Hannah soon becomes pregnant with Samuel. It's a miracle, right? Look at verse 24 to 28. This is, what, this is her follow-through, right? Remember, she's already told God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I won't hold it for myself. And when she had weaned him, verse 24, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she bought, brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent or entrusted or dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives, and he is entrusted, dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So this means that Samuel will live out his childhood serving the people and serving God in the temple. He is not going to live with his mom. Now moms... Think about this for a minute. The thing you have been travailing before God for, that you would have a son, is given to you at long last. The answer to my prayer. And you have him for however long it takes to wean him. So you have bonded with this boy. And then you have to bring him to the temple and hand him over to Eli, who, by the way, was not a great dad. If you read the rest of his story, this guy 
just was the worst dad on the planet. He's like the, the poster child for being a bad dad. And you're handing him over to this guy and saying he will live out his childhood being raised in the temple, sitting here, worshiping God and serving the people of God. Wouldn't that break your heart? I mean, I'm reading between the lines. It doesn't say, but I imagine there was some weeping as she handed him over. Now, our worship is no longer centered on the temple but the church, but the principle remains. Our children are dedicated to God by us. Long before they are able to make that decision for, for themselves. We hand them over to God. He gives them to us. The Bible says children are a gift from God. Sometimes they don't feel like one. And we have to accept this scripture by faith, but they are a gift. And our hearts are bound to them. And then we hand them over to God. And what we're saying when we do that, even though we're not dropping them off at the temple in a literal physical sense, we are giving them to God and he does whatever he wants with them. And they will carry a burden. They will carry a cross that will be hard for them. And it will be, you will have to watch them go through that on their own between them and Jesus. You have to watch them live their life and blow their life up from time to time and just live their life and you will not be in control anymore. This is what it's like to give your children to God. Of course, it's while serving in the temple that God speaks directly to Samuel, if you know the rest of the story. And Samuel becomes a prophet. In fact, he becomes the last prophet judge of Israel who ushers in, brings in Saul, and then brings in David, and begins that kingly line that would then produce the Messiah, Jesus. So this moment where Hannah comes to Eli and hands him over is not just an important moment for her. It's not just an important moment for Samuel and his destiny. It's an important moment for Israel and for the world and for you and I. Hannah handing Samuel over made open the door to the Messiah. This quiet act of obedience. So this is the most important thing you do as a mom. It's not getting that annoying cowlick to stay down. That super mom spit you know, where you lick and you, and somehow it stays. It's not making sure that they choose the right college, or even choose the right husband, or the right wife or go, go to the right school, or, get, or finish school at all, or get the right job, or learn all the right things, or look the right way. All those things are great, but the most important thing you do as a mom is you give your child away. And you hand them over to God and say, do what you will with them. Their life is yours. It is not mine. Just like Samuel, at some point, they have to hear God speak to them directly, right? Her job was to hand him over, to pray and travail and weep and intercede and, God, and then give back.
to God. And then what did God do? He didn't speak to Hannah and say, tell Samuel I said he's going to be my prophet. <laughs> he just spoke to Samuel in the middle of the night. And it was such a shocker, he had to go ask Eli three times. What in the world is happening? I keep hearing this voice. And Eli finally just says, answer back. And God speaks directly to Samuel. And this is how it is with your kids. You speak to them, you pour into them, you tell them about Jesus, you bring them to church, you do all those things, and then, and, and then it's like you just threw seed out. And at some point, the revelation you have as a parent is, if God doesn't speak to my child, they are hopeless. And then you see God take his hand and begin to speak to them directly. And all of a sudden, they're telling you things back that you've said to them for years like they just heard it for the first time. You know, I was at youth group, and they said, da, 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 it's amazing. How come I've never heard this before? And I'm like, I've told you that a thousand times. <laughs> but it's all right. I'm not saying that. No, I'm just happy God speaking to you, right? This is the free fall of the teen years where they step out into nothing, what it feels like where you can't catch them. And then you see God catch them. This is what Hannah did for Samuel. The greatest thing she ever did for him was giving him away. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because as a mother, your, your heart just says, no, no, no. Bring the babies in. <laughs> Bring them in. Right up close, because that's where my heart is. Bring them in. I'll protect you. I'll cover you. What Hannah learned and what Hannah did in obeying God was she gave him away. So notice that once Hannah dedicates Samuel, she rejoices. That's also counterintuitive. She just left her son at the temple where she's only going to be able to visit him and see him at work. You know, Samuel slept in the Holy of Holies next to the Ark of the Covenant. Are you kidding me? That's, you know, Indiana Jones melt your face off place. <laughs> right? And he's sleep, he's napping next to the Ark of the Covenant. That's what she gave him. And that's what I want for my kids, that they'll be fearlessly near to God their whole life. And so Hannah rejoices. She writes this song. It's amazing. I'll just read a selection for you. You can read it, the whole thing in chapter 2. I'll just read verses 2 through 5. It says, she says, I, you know, I can't sing. I'm not going to, but she's singing this. She's a songwriter. She writes this song. She says, there is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is God, is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, and she who has many children is forlorn. I sense a jab at Panina in that verse. But you know, there, was, there would be another travailing mother in the future who would write her own song. 
Her name was Mary. Mary wrote a song. We call it the Magnificat. She wrote a song, and it is based on Hannah's song. You can put the two next to each other. You should do that this week. Take 1 Samuel 2 and her song and, and Mary's song in Luke, and, just put it, and you'll see that obviously Mary knew Hannah's song, and it was in her heart. She, Mary would be told by an angel that she would bear a son, the Messiah, and she would name him Jesus. Remember the Christmas story. And she says she hid these things away in her heart, but upon hearing the news that she would be pregnant with the Messiah, she writes a song and sings it. And here's a couple of verses in Luke 1, 46 to 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary and Joseph would also bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. To dedicate him to God as a baby in Luke chapter 2, 22 to 38. And he would be not be left in the temple as Hannah did with Samuel, but instead he was recognized and blessed by two unknown people, Simeon and Anna, the two people I want to meet first when I get to heaven. Jesus would not stay in the temple because he was going to build a new temple, not made with human hands, but made of living stones like you and me. He was dedicated, and Jesus still lives in that temple by his spirit in the church. That is the new temple. So notice how both mothers sang their song of rejoicing, not when God answered the prayer, but when they found out that their child would belong to God. That their child would be his and his forever. And their response was, I'm certain, through tears, sang a song of rejoicing that, ah, God is good. He's sovereign and holy because he is taking my son and using him for his purposes. And so what I want to tell you, moms, is this is worth weeping for. This is a burden worth carrying. It's a burden because you cannot make it happen. <laughs> and I think we think, as parents, and especially you moms, that God is sovereign over all things except for my children. And God is the one who calls, and God is the one who saves. I can't save anybody. We know that's true until it comes to our children. And we think if I just get the words right or the timing right or my prayers right or my, my discipline just right, then my children will be saved and they'll belong to God. And if I, just, if I dedicate them before they're five years old to God and I do all these things, then everything will be fine and they'll never struggle. They'll never wrestle. They'll never, they'll never have a bad day. They'll never have a moment of doubt where they wonder if God is there for them the way he seems to be there for her, their parents. But it's not true. Because the truth is, they belong to God before you give them to them. You're just a steward of what belongs to him. And so all you can do is pray. That is all you can do. Now maybe, most likely, you will be the one God uses <laughs> to bring salvation to your children, but not always. Even then, if God doesn't speak to them directly, then your words 
and your actions amount to nothing. This is the travail of a mom. This is what we come to him with, with that burden. God, I have this burden. It is crushing. I want my children to be blessed. I want them to walk with you all the days of their life. I want them to stay on the road. I want them to stay on the path. I don't want them to waver. I don't want them to suffer under the burden of their own sin. I want you to rescue them, but I can't do it. I can't get rid of the burden, and I can't solve the problem. So what do I do? I come to you weeping bitterly in the temple like Hannah. And I say, Lord, here's my son or my daughter. Will you just take them, please? That's it. And you do this over and over again. This is what it's like to be a parent. We're all weeping over something, right? And so what I'd like to do to end this morning is to have anybody who wants to just come pray. We, I, I feel like the church's role is to stand with the mops in prayer. Whether your children are teeny tiny or in your womb or one day to come into your womb or they're grown and they're talking to you in a deep voice like my son on the video, <laughs> right? The burden is the same. And I'm not asking you not to carry it. I'm saying stand up under, under it, but bring it to Christ this morning. And the body of Christ, the church, will stand with you in prayer. Um, so if you just want to, you know, if your kids are lost and don't know the Lord, I really want to pray with you. But even if they are, they're walking with God right now, I think you still carry something for them. And so I want to pray for them too. So maybe, if, you know, this is a little awkward, but... Um, maybe moms come up and uh, husbands, if you want to come with them, do it. Uh, just come up and I want to pray. Let's just pray together for your kids and for you. You can just kind of stand up here. I'm asking you to come up because I want us all to see you. So the rest of us, why don't we just stand up together and um, so I'm just going to take a minute and why don't you all just start praying for your own kids and your own heart. You can pray out loud if you want or not. It's up to you. God, it's so hard to watch our kids pick up their own cross. Sometimes it happens really early in life. When some illness or difficulty is revealed in their little bodies and minds. But sometimes it's a lot later in life. And difficulty comes and, they, and it's a burden that you can't carry for them. But God, that's a common experience between all parents. 
is that feeling of, heavy, of a heavy burden that you can't relieve by doing something or fixing something. God, I pray right now that by your Spirit you would give each parent here the revelation that you are standing with them. And that however much they love their children in an almost physical way, God, you love them infinitely more. As well as these moms know their children, every fingertip, the, the, the way the back of their head looks, the shape of their ears, and every inch of them they know, God, you know them infinitely better. God, as faithful as these moms are to their children, you are all the more faithful. You are a perfect father. You are the perfect caregiver in every single way. You are perfectly trustworthy. So God, I pray that every parent here would right now just be able to push this burden for their children over to you. And so, Lord, we plead with you right now for the lives of our children. God, they are a delight to us, and we know they are a delight to you, and we pray that you would capture their hearts and draw them to yourself. God, that the enemy would not be allowed to get even close to them, to, to, to speak lies to them about just saying to them that you don't love them or you're not there or you're not real or that your promises are not true and will not come true. God, the lie that they have to fend for themselves or make their own way or that they're starting from zero. God, they're not. They're starting ahead. God, they stand on the shoulders of their parents. That's why they can see so far. And so, God, I pray, right, we plead with you for the hearts and the souls of our children. We ask you to rescue them from the world, rescue them from themselves, and capture their hearts forever. God, that they would not stray from the path, either left or right. God, that they would lock eyes with you and never move them from that spot. And God, I pray for the, the children of parents here that have strayed away from you and don't know you and, and, and just are going their own way. God, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to bring them home. God, that the faith of their parents would be transferred to them. And God, that you would bring them to their senses like the prodigal son in the pigsty and that he would run home to be celebrated by the father. God, I pray that they would, God, that you would lift shame off of their heads, deception off of their heads. God, the, the false philosophies and false religions of the world, 
that seems so alluring and convincing and so comforting and to seem to explain everything about them, God, that they would see the, the emptiness and the void that that really is in the world and they would come home to you. God, that they would be like Solomon who tried all the things in the world and said it's all meaningless. It's a vapor. God, bring them to their senses and bring them home. God, I thank you that we can't make that happen. All we can do is be faithful to you. So God, I pray for all these parents that every single day they'd be able to bring this burden when they wake up and they feel the travailing burden in their heart, God, that they would, they would not transfer that to themselves like they can fix it, but God, they would just be like Hannah who just wept in the temple and just said, God, hear my prayer. Now we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.